This is Soil Sense Field Check, where we explore some of the more practical aspects of building healthier soils. I'm Tim Hamrich, and over the past five seasons of the Soil Sense podcast, we've learned that building healthier soils takes curiosity, creativity, and collaboration between farmers, researchers, consultants, and extension. These stories have both inspired and informed a lot of people, but the question still remains, how do I make this work on my farm? That's why we like to produce these field check segments to explore some of the more practical aspects to soil health. Agronomy, logistics, equipment, best practices, safety, and other important considerations. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Field Check. Hey there, and thank you for tuning into another episode of Field Check. I'm Tim Hammerich. Today we'll hear from crop consultant Jason Hansen, who owns Rock and Roll Agronomy based in Webster, North Dakota. Jason has a few farmer clients that are trying to reduce their tillage, and he's seen both the benefits and the challenges of trying to do so. I asked Jason if for today's episode, he could focus on one of those fields and share that particular journey of him trying to help his farmer client who wants to reduce tillage, specifically in soybeans. I've got a lot of guys that have really reduced tillage, mostly because it's dry. I have one guy who's decided he's transitioning to maybe call it Northeast North Dakota no-till. It's not true no-till because we'll still use a harrow, and that's still important. But there's some other things that we're still trying to do with that Salinity is always still number one. Part of it is for him is just to reduce trips and cost, erosion, those type of things. And, and it comes with its challenges. We had challenges right off the bat. And it was it was residue. Everybody wants to put that header on the deck and grind through everything. And you leave a mat of straw out there that you have to manage and contend with. So I'm trying to see, I'd love to demo a stripper header this year and leave some fields out there. But at the stage we had those same fields that we started out with. It was, uh, it was a transition for the farmer because it didn't look like everyone else's. And the year that he started on, it was kind of moist early like we are this year. And then it dried out. And what looked tough to him at the beginning of the season looked pretty remarkable by the end of the season. Because we're saving moisture, we didn't dry it out. We don't have black soil that's getting heated up by the sun and uh, using moisture that way either. And we're going to come back to that topic of residue management, which you heard Jason mention there. But one thing we always try to talk about on this program is to find soil health building practices that meet your particular goals. And that one farmer's goal is not always going to be the same as the next farmer's goal. So in the case of this farmer, the one whose field we're studying today, Jason said his top priorities were to reduce costs and reduce wind erosion. So this has probably been, I think this is our third year that he's decided that he wants to make this transition to really reduced, it's, it is, it's no-till by, by our standards. And the biggest reason is just to not have to have the costs that are involved. 
you have your time, you have your implement depreciation, you have your fuel, you have parts, and then you have these other things that can happen. Last year was a terrible year for wind erosion. Everything is covered, I guess, from a root standpoint. Those were the things. And this this farm and the fields these has are relatively well-drained. So it, it sits up pretty well. Now there's been water that has been on it this year and it's it's gonna be wet and that'll be a concern. I mean, the biggest thing is, is that you're gonna have people who have tilled and they're gonna be going before you and then, and then you get impatient. But I mean, he's had a scenario where he has uh, had soybeans in and uh, just spent a lot of time with them one day out looking at seed depth because you have this mat of residue that is both your friend and can be your adversary. And so we, we seeded beans deeper than he's probably ever seeded. And the soil is cooler and it takes longer to get out of the ground, but it holds more moisture. And when the ear turned dry later, then it wasn't so bad. And they turned out really well. So this topic of residue management comes up again. I asked Jason if he could provide maybe a little bit more detail on the deeper seeding depth and how they've learned to manage residue in general. Part of it is, is that when you have this layer of residue when managing straw, your, your planter wants to ride up on it. And so I, I shouldn't say planter, air seeder, okay? So you're going to have to try to get more downforce, more pressure. And we were probably down three quarters of an inch to an inch deeper than we normally seed. And part of that was just, we had decent moisture, but it was to get good soil seed contact. You're cutting a slot in there and you go along when you first started, you could see beans. Like, whoa, we gotta, we gotta do something better. Immediately he realized that the biggest thing that you need to do starts in the fall and managing that residue. So it's probably not true no-till in that we will still harrow, but we're not going to vertical till, we're not going to chisel plow, we're not going to field cultivate that stuff. The headers are just too big for what the combine can evenly distribute out the back of the machine. So you've always got that. And the first year, there was this wave across the field where it just was cooler, where that, that straw was. So we, we got to do a better job with that. Once he got accustomed to that, hey, the bean, beans will come up from. Last year was so dry, we had beans seeded almost three inches deep, and they came up. And we had a good stand. We had respectable yields. And he's just looking at doing something where his sprayer is probably replacing some of the things that his cultivator did. Jason and this particular farmer client are now three years into this journey. But some of you may be wondering, where should you start? I asked him to take us back to that first conversation between him as the agronomist and the farmer to think about what initial steps they needed to begin reducing tillage. For me, it initially started, so what, why? And it's just like, I'm not questioning why he's doing it. I just want to know what he's thinking so that we can get into this conversation. Because I've worked with no-till farmers before, and there's some things that you have to kind of be prepared for. And uh, everybody kind of looks at everything that's the positive and that's good, but there's also things you, you have to manage. For instance, uh, okay, so when you say 
what is your definition of no-till? And so it's kind of a revised thing because we do use a harrow. And for us, that's good. We should probably think about varieties of particularly soybeans that have decent emergence scores because you're going to have cooler, wetter soils. We got to think about things with fertility. You can get stratification of phosphate. I I would love to have access to the year before to actually get a lot of manure down because that, that would help. And then it is just going about and coming up with a plan like, you know, there, there's some things you're going to do a fall burn down and you're going to do a spring burn down. So your sprayer is going to have more hours on it than you normally would. So think about how that affects your value of that piece of equipment and trade in value and time. And so it isn't just, I'm going to do this. There's a lot more things that go around to it. Now, for me, when I'm out scouting, your heaviest residue fields are your your biggest cutworm fields to check. And so you gotta you gotta pay more attention to that. You wanna see how things emerge. Your fertility is probably going to change somewhat because you have more residue on the top, particularly nitrogen. So if you're spreading urea, that's a big thing. You're gonna be get used to spending money on nitrification inhibitors. And if you haven't done that in the past, that's that's part of the cost. So then it gets in this rather in-depth conversation and there's things that it's great because there's like, you kind of get in your own little train of thought. I didn't think about that. And the farmer will say the same thing. They'll go, oh, okay. He's thinking of logistics and what he's going to do and the piece of equipments that he has on his farm right now. And then we start the process and it's so far so good. We'll see what it's like going into a wet spring, delayed spring. But last year was the exact opposite. It was powder. So he saw immediate benefit to not having anything worked and had more snow catch. And that last year was a big thing. So it's all balance and trade-offs. You just try to manage around it the best you can. Jason also added that in general, the hardest part of this process is patience especially in years like this one with a really wet spring. But I think the last thing you said there is a great takeaway from today's episode. With anything, it's all about balance and trade-offs. Thank you so much to Jason Hansen of Rock and Roll Agronomy for sharing this story on today's episode of Field Check. This program is made possible thanks to the support of the North Dakota Corn Council, the North Dakota Wheat Commission, the North Dakota Soybean Council, the North Dakota Barley Council, and Anheuser-Busch. For more stories like this, visit ndfieldcheck.com and make sure you subscribe to Soil Sense wherever you get your podcasts.